0: So just to remind you where we are in our study of the book of Acts. So last week we started into Paul's second missionary journey. Um, uh, And we focused a lot on last week how uh, the initial desire of this second journey is to revisit those churches that Paul and Barnabas established during their first missionary journey. But because of their disagreement over John Mark accompanying them or not, um Paul and Barnabas end up going their separate ways. Uh Barnabas going to um to Crete with um yeah, with uh John Mark and then Paul going to those churches in central Turkey. Paul, we're told by Luke, um, has the the desire to go to take the gospel message eastward, but the Holy Spirit blocks him. Um, and redirects him, giving him this vision of this man from Macedonia saying, come over to help us. So rather than going east or n- and, and even north, Paul ends up going west to take the gospel um, across the sea and into Macedonia. And uh, the last part of class last week, we looked at his ministry in the city of Philippi. Um, and we were particularly struck by how he was able to minister to different sorts of people um, and different sorts of people responded to the gospel proclamation in that city. You have a wealthy merchant woman. um, You have an unnamed spirit-possessed slave girl who Paul frees her from this possession. Um, He gets imprisoned because of that. and then while he's imprisoned, he has the opportunity to um, preach the good news to this uh, jailer in Philippi. And he and his household respond and are baptized. Um, and one of the big things we saw last week, uh, this continued twin theme. You have people responding to the gospel from all different kinds of backgrounds, both Jew and Greek, um, Gentile. Um, as well as God-fears, people far and near, people from high station, people from low station, men and women. Um, But also you have uh, not just people responding to the gospel message positively, but opposition. And last time we saw the first major Gentile opposition, um, particularly upset that Paul is affecting um, people's economic bottom lines by uh, removing the profit that the slave girl's owners made from her um, prophesying. Um, and those two themes uh, will continue as we move into chapter 17, as Paul continues to travel through Macedonia and then enters Greece, um, with this chapter being most famous for Paul's ministry in the city of Athens. So here now the word of God from Acts chapter 17. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city's authorities, shouting, These men, who have turned the world upside down, have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, And after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, and some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities, because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the the, the Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I also, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst. But some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius the the Arapagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. Thus far the reading of God's holy word, let's ask him. To open it in our hearts this morning. Let's pray. Gracious God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we do give you praise and glory this day and every day as we worship you being the one true creator, the one true God who made heavens and earth, the one who sustains all things and gives this earth life, and the one who will bring the world its final end, giving judgment to the living and the dead through our righteous judge, Jesus Christ, the one righteous man who came and lived among us, who lived a perfect life of righteousness, and yet who was condemned as a criminal, condemned as a transgressor, not for his own transgressions, but for ours that by taking the blow meant for us, he brought peace to us and reconciled us to God. Truly, this is good news. Good news found throughout your scriptures, that the Christ was one to come and suffer and to die, but to be vindicated by you, O God, raising him from the dead and giving us the promise of new eternal life through him. Help us to understand Jesus and his work through the church and in the hearts of men and women as we study uh, Luke's uh, account here in the book of Acts. As we see the gospel go forth and be received by different kinds of people and different communities and see the different responses that the gospel provokes, some coming in belief and some responding in mocking. Help us to understand the faithfulness required to proclaim the good news and leave the response to you. Uh, give us wills to be faithful witnesses to our Savior Jesus Christ who worked not just thousands of years ago but who is alive and works in and through us now. Truly as Paul says, uh, this God is not distant. He is very near. And we know the nearness of communion with Christ that we have through the uh, abiding and indwelling Holy Spirit. Help us uh, this morning, may that spirit guide us into all truth, and in all things may we bring glory and honor to our Savior Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. All right, so after uh, Paul and Silas uh, leave Philippi, um, they travel through these a couple other cities, and then end up in Thessalonica. Um, so once again, we see uh, Paul and Silas meet opposition um, and success in their ministry. So what strikes you about um, both the response to Paul and Silas's um, proclamation of the good news in Thessalonica and the opposition that arises in them? So, um, yeah, how does, and maybe think about, like, how does Paul's message lead to the specific accusations that are made against the Christians in this city? Okay, so as we look at the charges, one of the two charges that are brought against them is that they're, they're proclaiming seditious messages. Um, taking this message that Jesus has inaugurated a new kingdom and that he is, you know, he is himself the Christ, the promised coming king. That this is therefore in opposition to, to Caesar. Um, and it's a serious charge. One of the things that uh, a town council is charged with is to make sure that any seditious matters, any opposition to Caesar is brought to attention. Um, they could, again, lose their jobs and their lives if it's, if it's known that some kind of opposition to, to Rome is being tolerated within their city. So, um, and that's one of the things maybe we can think about, like, um, they you know, part of what they're saying is true, um, yes, Jesus is the king, but is their proclamation of Jesus as king political sedition, like, you know, it, are they understanding Jesus as king in the same way as um, the Romans understand Caesar as emperor, or are they kind of twisting their message? for their political accusation here. Yeah, Ronnie. Yeah, so in this case, and again, like, um, you know, they're not bringing things out of whole cloth. Like, you know, I think they're taking a little, you know, know, there's a little truth to their accusation, but they're twisting the truth. You know, they're taking what they've said and they're giving, you know, the worst possible interpretation of their message. And, you, you know, out of, again, as you say, this, this word Luke has given us repeatedly in the book of Acts, particularly ascribing it to um, the gospel's Jewish opponents. That you have, and, and notice the patterns often, you have scriptural debate. You know, like Paul is there for three weeks reasoning from the scriptures. So for three weeks he's been making his case, and they're unable to scripturally counter his. And in their jealousy, they resort to, um, as you say, these kind of um, uh, illicit methods. Like, you know, like, it's like me, uh, I have lots of siblings, and they were always beating me at something. Um, and so I became really good at cheating. <laughs> Confession time. And they know this. <laughs> because there was no way I was going to be able to beat them at certain games fair and square, and but I was jealous, like, I want to win sometimes, come on, give me a break. Um, can I win, like, once every now and then? And no, they like torturing me by beating me every time. Um, so, you know, my response out of jealousy was to use, you know, some kind of underhanded means to, to, um, to win when just in the, you know, whatever the game was, uh, I was going to lose, <laughs> um, so out of my jealousy, I would re- resort to to this kind of devious methods. And in this case, you know, he there he's in the synagogue every week. He's arguing with them. He's debating with them. He's bringing things forward from the scriptures. And rather to continue to gauge and debate with him um, from the scriptures, they resort to this outside means by going and, you know assembling a brute squad <laughs> to to drag them out of of Jason's private residence um so you know they've been sh- you know clearly they're have a public ministry um and their opposition out of this jealousy is not engaging them publicly in in that way they're raising a public mob against them and, and going to you know forcefully drag them from Jason's home Well, it, it seems like yeah. So he's given an opportunity to speak, um, and in he, in his speak, like yeah, he's engaging people, and it seems again we're not given, oh, you know, Luke doesn't go into the nitty nitty gritty, but he, his Paul's speaking, as, seems to attract like the majority of of whatever conversations going on in the synagogue. So like yeah, it's like. Um, like this happens like sometimes at conferences they might have, a, a, you know, academic conferences that I go to. There, there might be a, a big hall and you have people with tables and so you can go and hear their individual presentations. But inevitably, like somebody's presentation, like suddenly, uh, not all the time, but sometimes someone's presentation will be so good or interesting like, you know, you you feel bad for the guys over here like <laughs> cuz the crowd kind of moves over you know to look at or to he- you know look at the poster or to hear the words of someone else um so he's it, it seems like he's dominating the conversation that normally goes on in these synagogues well i mean he he's got a rabbinical background so, you know, he, he's going to have teacher creds <laughs> having been trained under Gamaliel and having, you know, being a, uh, you know, of the pharisaical party. Um, you know, yeah, it's, he's got some credentials to that they would naturally want to hear him speak. And clearly he has talent. I mean, that's one of the things, I, I you know, reading through this chapter, I was struck by, like thinking about the chapter of the whole, notice Paul is great in synagogues and he's also good in the marketplace <laughs> and then he's also good when he's given an intellectual greek audience you know when he speaks in, in the the Areopagus like um that's a gift i wish i had <laughs> to be able to 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 speak well in these three very different audiences like You know, one, to a devout Jewish audience, to a marketplace like, and and I love uh, the description, like, um, you know, in the marketplace every day with those who happen to be there. (laughs) Whoever's kind of wandering in and out of the marketplace, he's talking to them. Um, And then, you know, he goes into, you know, this kind of formal seat of debate and learning in the city of Athens. But in all three of those forum, um, he, he, he has what? He speaks well um, and has success. Other things um, from how So I mean, the thing Luke emphasizes is that he has the opportunity to speak in the synagogue, and he does it well, um, so much so that like he gets invited back week after week after week. And so well, as Ronnie said, you know provokes jealousy of those who um, the and the when it says here the Jews were jealous, um the Jews there has like religious leaders connotations, so like the local leaders of the synagogue in particular are jealous of this outsider who's shown up and is convincing um you know, as it says. As Luke tells us, um, some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. So you know he goes in, he has success, and that success provokes this this jealous response that initiates uh, open persecution or an attempt at open persecution of Paul and Silas. What else strikes you about Paul and Silas's ministry in thessalonica um or the opposition? You know yeah, Brian, no. <laughs> Everybody knows who Jason is, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like if we think of the prior week's example, like Philippi, he introduces us to Lydia and her conversion and then tells us how Paul and Silas then stayed in Lydia's house, like, you know, he gave us backdrop of her and then, yes, they stayed with him. Here, yeah, it's just assumed that they're staying at Jason's house. There is one Jason mentioned in um, elsewhere in the New Testament in Romans sixteen twenty one, But it's not clear that it's the same Jason because Jason's a pretty common name um, you know, in, in the Roman world. So um, yeah, would the readers know who he is? Or, you know, and I love how like um, the other thing, we're, so we're told that they're staying with Jason. When they couldn't find Paul and Silas, they dragged Jason and some of the other brothers. Um, and then Jason had to put up money and, uh, as security um, and secured his release. Um, and then they sent Paul and Silas away at night. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, yeah, you know, time for y'all to move on. <laughs> um, but yeah, it is, it's, it is really different how he's, you know, Jason just sort of pops in um, without much background. Um, on our part. Um, but, I mean, one of the things that indicates someone of enough standing to have a house to host them and enough wealth to secure the bond to get his release is, has become part of this Christian community in a very relatively short period of time. So like three Sabbaths, so you know, like he's been there a month or so, and and yet they've already got someone who's willing to host them and gets arrested um, because of his known association with them. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, they can't find who they want, so they grab the one, (laughs) you know, they grab a follower. They can't get Paul and Silas, so they grab uh, Jason and drag him before. Now, you know, a lot of people would note that um, it's for the seriousness of the charges that are raised against Jason. He gets off pretty lightly, like, you know, he's putting up a bond basically to sort of say, no, these accusations aren't true. And if you find them true, then, you know, I'll forfeit the, you know, this money that I put up for security. And they let him go. Like, so, um, you know, they're doing something, but it's not, you know, a severe, they're not believing the severity of the charges. Um, They're not wholly convinced that Jason is the anti-Caesar, you know, Seditious insurrectionist that he's been accused of being. All right, anything else on, yeah. no and and i think we'll see that a lot in these responses that we have like you know when paul in, is in athens um you know you know some people are like mocking him you know openly just kind of rather than engage with his message at all or just you know it's easier to mock somebody than actually substantially engage with what they're saying some people are like yeah we can keep a conversation going on this um but um but yeah <laughs> there is nothing new under the sun <laughs> um and um and you know the um Luke's theme over and over again is we see faithful response and we see opposition everywhere they go you know they're encountering these two things um and so therefore we should not be surprised when we proclaim the gospel that yeah, some are going to respond in faith and repentance, and some people are going to mock, and some people are going to accuse, and some people are going to, you know, seek to destroy. Like that's what Jesus told us would happen. There is nothing new under the sun. Yeah, Jay. Yeah, and notice it's, you know, in in, um, Thessalonica, it's a scene that's, you know, uh, or the the contest has originated in the synagogue and one of the parties is resorting to the arm of the state to settle a matter of of dispute that's happened in the synagogue. So, yeah, like, you know, to have, I mean, it, it would be like, I mean, all right, let's use the Sunday school as a synagogue thing. And, you know, we're so divided on something that, you know, you call the Concord police and, and get me dragged out of the place. Like, you know, it's that kind of um, scenario. that, And that is super scary. Like, you know, it's one thing to have a verbal debate. And so, like, yeah, we can agree to disagree. But it's a very different thing when, um, you know, it becomes a, a matter of civil uh, authority and there are real consequences. Just as we saw all Paul um, and Silas last week in Philippi, they got beaten with rods. Like, you know, um, you know uh, they are being, you know, or, or his first missionary journey, he got stoned. Like, they are facing not just verbal opposition, but, um, physical and the use of civil power against them. Um, All right, well, let's move to uh, Berea. So um, how do uh, again, Luke focuses on Paul's ministry in a synagogue. What's different about the response, the synagogue response that Paul gets in Berea from that in Thessalonica? Yeah, more noble, isn't that it's uh, it's an interesting <laughs> phrase. Like uh you know, um and it means uh it can mean anything from being more generous um or having a kind of uh a higher attitude, um, but you know, certainly characterizing their their um the their internal quality. So what yeah, you know, what did they do? that we can see that helps us understand what's more noble about them. Yeah. (laughs) Um, They actually take a look for themselves. Um, And notice, you know, uh, they receive the word with all eagerness, like, you know, they engage, they wanna hear, they wanna know if these things are true. Um, and again, as Paul here, um, he's proclaiming things from their scriptures. He's laying out a case from the Hebrew Bible, you know. And if his, you know, Luke doesn't go into a Berean message, but if we take his message in Thessalonica, you know, he's laying out the case that the coming Christ, all along, it was his plan for him to suffer um, and to rise from the dead. So, you know, the suffering Christ and resurrection from the dead um, and that this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. So, you know, lays out the case Christ has to suffer. The Christ would be raised from the dead. Jesus suffered. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus is the Christ. So it's this kind of like syllogistic logic to, to what he's unfolding before them. And rather than being jealous And, you know, again, resorting to these outside means to oppose them. They engage in what he's saying. And they search the scriptures for themselves. I love that that description. Like, they examine the scriptures daily to see if these things were true. And that's what makes them more noble, um, is that they uh, don't close their ears and eyes, but Hmm. is that really what the prophets say? Is that really what God said in in the scriptures? Yeah, Becky. Yeah, God had done a and again, it's the way the Holy Spirit, you know, prepares people to hear, <laughs> does it work, that when the message was proclaimed, they respond, um, and that they they don't ha- harden their hearts um, as Pharaoh did, but they have hearts that respond. Um, I, I also, um, as we kind of think of repeated elements, um, notice how Luke, in both Thessalonica and in Berea, um, uses this repeated phrase, not a few of the leading women, not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. So emphasizing, you know, going out of his way to emphasize, it's not just, you know, um, it's not just men who are responding, but women as well. It's not just, you know, the rabble, the lower class, like, you know, It's not a a Marxist revolution where the oppressed people are willing to hear this message of liberation. Um, No, it's a message that is engaging people across the social spectrum and even leading women are responding to it. In in all three places, um, notice in Thessalonica and Berea and Athens, Luke goes out of his way to emphasize that not a few women, or in the case of Athens, he even names a particular woman um as among the converts. So that this gospel message is being received um broadly in society. Anything else we want to say about Berea before we hop into Athens, which was what? Like why do I what, Acts seventeen? What happens in Acts? 17? Oh, Acts uh <laughs> seventeen is Athens. Um so, what picture are we given by Luke of Athens like before we get into paul's ministry there, like what does Athens of paul's day uh sound like <laughs> God's in abundance. <laughs> uh, very, reli- well, they, we, we might say conquered might be a step removed from this. But, you know, like very, because he's describing them as, they're very religious or very superstitious. The word can mean either. Um, he seems to be using it in the very religious sense. Um, but, yeah, lots of options. Conquered in the sense of lots of, options and we're open to all of them. Yeah, these people who liked uh, s- um, uh, all the Athenians and foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new, like, <laughs> Athens, uh, I think, I w- let me see, what it, uh I wrote down what Cicero said of Athens. Um, Cicero basically regarded Athens as like, you know, like up- singularly upholding the reputation of Greece for being a seat of learning, <laughs> like, yeah, it's Athens, <laughs> it's not Greece, uh, it's Athens. Um, <laughs> this is the, cr- yeah, this is the cream of, of, of Greek society, um, both economically but intellectually as well. Yeah, Becky. <laughs> yeah, and notice how like again it's kind of unusual for Luke to do this, but he um he's he states particular philosophies. Like some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. So we've got like tons of gods, and then we've got these other philosophies that um, the Epicureans actually were, um, uh, not atheists, but agnostic. Uh, like, yeah, gods are, you know, they There they might be out there, but they've got nothing to do with our day-to-day lives or affairs, um, and therefore, we should just concern ourselves with the things of this life, pursuing things that are good, things that bring pleasure, shunning the things that are evil, which are those things that bring pain or sadness. And so, you know, um, so you have a host of deities. um, And I love Paul, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols, um, full of them. But so you have all these religious cults and organizations devoted to this deity and that deity. Um, and then you have these you know, philosophical opinions like the Epicureans or the other one is the Stoics. And the Stoics are, n- are noted for their emphasis on rationality and obedience and the power of, of the state. To, and so again, an emphasis on this kind of, this earthly behavior um, versus you know, focusing on some external god. But what sets the Stoics apart from the Epicureans were the Epicureans like, ah, you know, they, God is is irrelevant. The Stoics took the um, all gods might be valid. Like, so a more pantheistic, like, uh, all, you know, again, this kind of, um, uh, you know, very similar to modern, like you know, all gods, all religions have equal validity to them, and so let them all exist and and do their thing. Yeah, Bill. They want the current fad. <laughs> The rock stars. And yet they consider him a babbler. <laughs> Being able to speak well um, and give an oration and note it like you know like some people are hearing them um, like babbler um i the the babbler there has the idea of somebody who uh, it's it's like the way I describe myself with sailing, like I know enough about a sailboat to be a danger to myself and others, like I can get us out <laughs> like you know um there but who knows if we'll we'll make it back in one one piece like and it's that kind of idea knows enough to um you know or knows a little about things uh, and then speaks about them so you know uh you know um the other line uh, that i think about this is uh, tacitus has a line about um during um a, pe- a period of of where there sh- struggles over who would be emperor And he he had this quip, like, no one knew anything, so everyone pontificated. (laughs) And it's that idea that he's a pontificator, but does he really know anything? And so, you know, is he a babbler or is he a, you know, somebody who's got something new and can speak well, and we want to hear him on this. And it's not a matter, it's not a matter so much of truth as it is persuasion. Like, you know, can you raise a persuasive case, not a, a, a seeking after truth? Which Becky raised college campuses, like I work on one. And, you know, I think that's how colleges, where they fall in the way is they're not necessarily seeking after truths, but, you know, trying to make persuasive case for this or that. Um, but not necessarily in a quest for truth, which sounds very similar to Athens. um When he's in the marketplace, it's probably more like a dialectic. Um, like if you've ever been to Speaker's Corner in London or something, um, you know, where people stand up and they speak on different things and they'll there'll be some audience engagement and back and forth. Um, when he's on the Areopagus, he seems to be giving a speech that uh gets interrupted when when they hear like, Yeah, oh, wait a minute, when he talks about resurrection, like, yeah, you gone you know, we're, we were listening to you and tracking with you on this. Maybe maybe there is only one God, but this resurrection of the dead stuff, you know, that's beyond the pale. So the, um, in that, he's brought before the Areopagus is, so, you know, you have three settings he speaks in in Athens. The synagogue, which, again, is his normal practice. Um, the marketplace, which is just, you know the marketplace, like lots of people speaking, lots of activity going on, people coming and going, um, as Luke says, you know, whoever happened to be there at the moment. Um, And then the Areopagus is this more formal setting of debate. The Areopagus was where court cases were decided, it was where they formally would look at Um, new philosophies, new religious matters. So it's a more um, formal setting than these first two. Well, I mean, resurrection, uh, yeah. Um, Yeah, when they heard of the resurrection of the, I mean, it, yeah, how much farther would he have gone? Like, because he doesn't do a lot, um, a lot with Jesus. Um, in fact, he he never mentions him specifically. <laughs> so we would ex- at least have expected, you know, he says this man, um, but he doesn't identify, you know, oh, you know, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he's given insurance to all by raising him from the dead. You would e- expect him to get to, like, a declaration like he does in Thessalonica, like, a, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ, like, you know, that you would expect that would be the culminating point. Um, well, I mean, it, it's going to me- have to mean something to them to become Christian. <laughs> Like, it doesn't mean anything, like, that's why he doesn't start with that, because it wouldn't mean anything with them. He starts with, you know, he starts where they are, but he's got to lead them to the, the gospel message, which is who Christ is. Um, so he doesn't, yeah, no, the word Christ wouldn't necessarily mean anything to him. Well, it's definitely an argument. Uh, and it, again, it's meant to persuade. He's laying out his case. In terms that engage them. Yeah, I mean, we have, uh, you know, Luke gives us three three types of responders: the mockers, who like resurrection from the dead doesn't ha- doesn't exist, you know, end end of sentence, like no need to listen to this guy anymore. So like, you know, it'd be like if I up here and, and started saying something about aliens, y'all would be like, uh, yeah, <laughs> no, um, like, you know, somebody from outer space or um, in my class this week I'm teaching a summer class on the role of disease in um, in early American history and we actually started before we jumped into America, we did the plague um, in Europe um, in the 14th century. and. You know, there's enormous debate. I feel sorry for all the trees that have been killed in the debate over what the plague actually was. Like, was it the bubonic plague? Um, Was it anthrax? Was it Ebola? Was it the flu? Um, Was it, um, uh, but my favorite um, uh, in the 80s, two scholars Postulated it was organic matter from outer space um that uh, uh yeah that fell to earth, and so like some new disease that like yeah <laughs> that one that one might be a little beyond the pale for me um but uh but yeah, he's starting with um with you know these terms, and some people refuse to hear. Because resurrection of the dead, you know, the Greeks had, they had different concepts of the afterlife, um, but what kind of unified them were none of those concepts involved any form of bodily resurrection. Like some people might think something happens to the soul, um, but the idea that bodies come back to life and have immortality was just, again, beyond the pale. That was a stumbling block. But some people, so some people outwardly mock and refuse to hear him. Some people say, hmm, resurrection of the dead? Let's hear some more about it. Like, yeah, lay out your case. And then um, this third group that uh, Rob pointed out, some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius the Areopagite, Arap- the which means he was on the, the the formal council. So this is somebody of, of standing, you know, one of the people that has gathered to you know the, the kind of formal judicial audience, at least one of them responds in faith. Um and then this woman Demarius and others with them. Um so yeah it's it's a diverse response to his message. Some people are persuaded some people mock and some people are in between. Um How much time we have, uh, which is no time. Um, <laughs> um, but I do. Anything else you want to say about Paul's address? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, the call to faith and repentance is universal. Um, It's not people-specific. It's for slave girls, and it's for Athenian intellectuals. Um, No matter who you are, where you are, you need to turn from your sinfulness. You need to repent and exercise faith in Jesus Christ. You turn from your own conceptions of the world you know, all these kind of empty temples and empty idols you've made that aren't real. It is your responsibility, it's on you to repent and you will be, you know, because you will be judged. Um, You know, there will be a judgment. Um, And that's, you know, he points to you need to repent because you will be judged. There is a judge who will judge rightly, righteously. and this judge um, also um, offers um, salvation, like you can have condemnation if you continue in the path you're in. Um, you don't repent, condemnation is the end for everyone. Ah, but, you know, it's this gracious, I mean, I love how Paul does this so graciously, like clearly he's deeply offended, like his spirit was provoked. That That is pretty, um, like, uh, you know, uh, I'm trying to how to say this without using something uh, that verges on swear words. Like, you know, he is mad. (laughs) Um, Like, you know, he, this is, this has got him. But, you know, he doesn't respond, um, you know, in anger. He responds by making, you know, laying out this persuasive case Taking, and I love how he uses their um, their polytheistic um, statuary to make a case for a mono- to make a monotheistic case like you have all these statues, all these temples, all these gods, you even have one to an unknown. Um, and who is this unknown God? Well, he's the he's the only one true. He's the one who made all things. Um, he's the one who sustains all things. Everything you have, you have because of this one God. All these other gods, you yourselves know. You made the temples. You fashioned the gods by hand. There's only one God, who is not man-made, and that you know by using man-made there, like it's it's an insult. Um, you know, that y- you have all these homemade gods that aren't really gods. Um, but he starts with all their gods and, and uses that to make this persuasive case for the one true God who has this this message of, of repentance for them. That's for all people. And again, the Athenians, um, are pretty elitist, um. You know, there's Athenians, and then there are barbarians. That's the two categories in the world for them. (laughs) There's us, and then there's everybody else who is less than us. Um, And so to suddenly be put on the case, like, you're not as smart as you think you are. um, you, You know, you're in the same situation as all other people on earth, and all people need repentance and to exercise faith in Jesus Christ. Um, and some mock that message, but some, as we see, respond in faith. All right, well, um, I need to end our time. Um, but we'll continue next week um, to uh, our last um, class before the summer starts. Um, but we'll hopefully bring to an end Paul's second missionary journey next week his, and the end of his time in, in, um, in Greece and then his way back uh, to Antioch. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the good news. That is for all people, regardless of their ethnic background, regardless of if they're men or women, um, regardless of what culture they originated from or how educated they are, um, whether they're high-born or low-born, whether they do menial work or do intellectual work, your gospel is for all. And you work in the hearts of all people. You take the same gospel and you work a response in different kinds of people. And it's not um, our creativity, but it's the effectiveness of your spirit, um, taking that word and planting it in people's hearts and growing it to produce fruit help us to be faithful sowers of that word, Um, to be prepared to proclaim your good news in season and out of season, Um, to proclaim your good news to all kinds of people, knowing that some may respond um, in faith and some will respond in scoffing, Um, but our duty is to be faithful, even as we see Paul and his faithfulness uh, expressed in the book of Acts. Help us to also be faithful in our worship, to not ascribe glory to ourselves, but to give all praise and honor and glory to you, Lord God, the one who made and sustains all things, and the one who gives life not just in this world, but promises eternal life in the world to come. May it come quickly, Lord Jesus, we pray, by the power of your Spirit. Amen.